Navigating the Storm, episode 18. ADHD, a whole bag of fun. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Anna Knight. I am a cat lover, book owning, brand new owner of a bookstore, which you can find online at Bookstore UK. And I'm also a personal development coach. I work with women and non-binary people who have been through some tough times maybe, but who are ready to be done surviving and start really shining. On this podcast, I interview the people who've gone on the journey before you. So my guests aren't necessarily famous, although Emma Watson, love to have you on if you're listening. They're people with life experience about certain situations, who can tell us a bit more about what it's actually like, who can share their wisdom with us, and who can challenge the way that we might think about certain people and certain identities. Today, my guest is Gillian Trainer. Now, Gillian and I are great friends, and she's also a reporter working in Canada out on Prince Edward Island. I've asked Gillian to come along today to have a conversation with myself and with our producer Mel about ADHD. The three of us are at different stages of our journey through seeking a diagnosis, right to Gillian knowing that she had ADHD when she was much younger. We're going to talk about some of the unique challenges of being a woman with ADHD, as there's very definitely a gender bias in how the medical professional sees ADHD. And we're also going to talk about things we've learned along the way, strategies that have helped us, and things that it would just be really cool if the general public knew about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So without further ado, let's get right to the good stuff. Hi Gillian, thank you so much for coming on. Could you introduce yourself for the listeners? Absolutely. Hi, my name is Gillian. I'm a Canadian reporter and I've got two cats who at the moment seem like they are plotting an attack. (laughs) We are very (laughs) familiar with that as a situation. And this week, We also have producer Mel on this side of the mic, so producer Mel, introduce yourself as well. I'm Mel, I help produce the show, I'm not usually on this side of the microphone, and kind of got a little bit sidelined because I didn't realise you were going to ask me to introduce myself. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) So, I asked you on, Gillian, for those of you who haven't seen all the social media posts about ADHD that we've been making recently... Mel and I have both learnt some things about ourselves recently, and a lot of that has come from posts that Julian does on Facebook. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey with ADHD? Absolutely. I was actually diagnosed with ADHD when I was eight years old. I did go on medication for a few years, Ritalin specifically, and for some reason, I can't remember why, but... We stopped using the medication when I was around 12, 
I believe. And so through middle school and high school, I just didn't take it. And I started taking meds again for it when I was in my early 20s. And I'm 32 now and still on them. And yeah, it's ADHD is a, an interesting thing to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think I'd always had that idea of it being the hyperactive kids, like the ones that I worked with in my speech therapy that just never sat still. And generally that meant boys. ADHD in women is quite unrecognised. Have you found that? It's definitely something I've noticed when I've come across research because women, it seems, I'm not, I'm just stating this right now, I am not an expert, this is just what I have found in my own personal research. Women generally seem to be diagnosed or exhibit more of the traits for ADHD inattentive. So we might not be exhibiting any external symptoms of hyperactivity. With us, it's more internal. It's the daydreaming. It's that difficulty just focusing, just more internal elements to it. Yeah. When I was reading your social media posts, the daydreaming was definitely something that I really relate to. My family used to call me Dolly Daydream when I was a little girl. And yeah, that kind of inattentiveness definitely kind of resonates for me. Whereas I wonder, Mel, whether you resonate with some of the more hyperactive stuff as well. Yes, like I was definitely a hyperactive child to the point that I was not allowed a number of sugary treats because they sent me a bit loopy. Your mum tells a wonderful story of a time you went to Disney World and you were so excited you didn't sleep for, what, five days? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. But I do think I also daydreamed. Like, I spent a lot of time imagining what it would be like if I won the lottery, or if I could travel in time, or flipping through the Argos catalogue and planning what my future house would be like. That might be a very British experience. I don't know if you have something like the Argos catalogue in Canada, Gillian. No, we used to have the Sears catalogue, but that's kind of gone under at this point. Oh, there is evidence that suggests that ADHD seems to... It could be genetic, and it does apparently seem to run in families. I would not be surprised if mom also had ADHD, because <laughs> a lot of the symptoms I had when I was not medicated, uh, she also exhibited. And it's not just about attention, it impacts at least four parts of the brain. It impacts the frontal cortex, the limbic system, the basal ganglia, and the reticular activating system. And these help organize like things like executive functioning, maintaining attention. The limbic system does a whole lot of emotions and memory and how recall things through emotions versus events and then use that to put plans in place yes yeah it makes a lot of sense and the four regions of the brain that i've mentioned like because these regions interact with each other you know a dopamine deficiency caused by adhd in one region might cause a problem in one or more of the other regions of the brain too so it's just a bag of fun mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's a bag of something. 
Yeah, and I guess for the context of people listening at home, so you were diagnosed when you were eight. Mel has just been referred for her assessment. But in the most ADHD fashion, I got the letter to organise an appointment, put it down somewhere, and now I can't find it. Yeah, and I'm almost a stage ahead of that in that I'm waiting till I have uh, an appointment with my rheumatologist to get some stuff sorted there before I'm seeking it. So we're kind of three different stages in a is it slash it is ADHD journey. Yeah, we've said though, like, if I don't have it, it's a miracle. And I think that's a really interesting side of it. Gillian, you were saying you were diagnosed quite young. Was that something that in Canada do people recognise ADHD in girls quite young or were you the exception to the rule? Um, I'm not sure. That's not something I've ever really thought about. I didn't really pay much attention back then, which is absolutely shocking, I must tell you. (laughs) Um, I just remember being at the doctors and getting the diagnosis with my mom and being told that they'd be putting me on Ritalin to see how things went. And that's what I remember, basically. And do you think it affected you growing up having that awareness that you had a diagnosis? No, honestly, it's not something I've ever really paid much attention to. It's only within like the last few years that I've really been paying more focus and more attention to the ADHD and to how it impacts uh, just, you know, life on a daily basis. And was there something that happened a few years ago or was it just a natural process? I think it was just kind of more of a natural process. The reason I'm asking all this is there was a really interesting article, I think it was in The Guardian the other day, that was shared in four different social network groups that I'm in about the effects of undiagnosed ADHD on girls and the impact that that can have in terms of how people view you. And I know that's something that Mel and I have chatted about behind the scenes. Those things that we always thought were our flaws, actually realising there might be some kind of neurochemical basis for it, has been quite a revelatory experience. I think I've seen that article. I I know some of my friends and and some of the ADHD groups I'm part of, they've shared it. Because I just think it's like that thing of if you don't know, there's, I don't want to say wrong, if you don't know there's something different about you and you just think, why can't I function like my friends, the people I go to school with? I have been late my entire life. No matter what I do, I'm always late. Like, to the point where, for special events, to make sure I wasn't late, I've ended up staying up all night just to make sure that I'm awake and ready. I've had sleeping problems since I was younger, and that's always something that my mum told me off for. And, like, in the days of pre-satellite TV, I distinctly remember Channel 3, the Open University, used to do shows that started at like two in the morning, like history documentaries and stuff like that. And I can distinctly remember living in my first house, which I moved out of when I was like five, and still being awake when that came on TV. And it wasn't for lack of trying. And then I was actually watching a TikTok by Patrick Lawler, who is brilliant, and he has ADHD, and he was talking about something called delayed sleep phase disorder which can be linked to ADHD. And it was like I had a moment where I was like, 
all of a sudden I have understood what's been wrong with me my whole life. Like, because I thought I just didn't function. And actually, I'm not saying I'd have this, but what he said felt so like what's been happening to me my entire life that I genuinely believe that's what it is. Mm. And it was just that moment of maybe it isn't my fault. You telling that story reminds me of something that happened in my early 20s. I forgot to mention this, but I actually got re-diagnosed before I went on medication again. I was with my mother. We were at my family physician's office, and we were explaining this to her, the wanting to go back on the medication. And so she was listing off the symptoms of ADHD, and I just remember raising my hand every time she listed a symptom. Wow. Mom got a, had a bit of a giggle over that. Yeah, and I think we kind of resonate with that with the things that you put on social media. I've quite often put, oh, just tag me in it, Jillian. Like, <laughs> come on. Just at me next time. Yeah, but sure. it is that thing of going, actually, this is a thing that describes me and it makes so much make sense about my life. And since we've come to that awareness, it's a lot easier to be gentle with ourselves going, okay, this might be the ADHD, let's do something about it. Whereas in the past, there's been things where I've gone into massive self-critical spirals of why can I not function like everyone else? It's just posting a letter, why can't I get it in the post box? What is going on? And actually understanding that it's not as simple as just post it. It's organising all the little tasks that get you from actually opening the post in the first place to formulating the response, doing it, going to the post box, getting it in the post box. What if you need stamps? It's not just one thing, it's 20 things. And that's really difficult to sequence. That was a big moment for me of going like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not broken. Maybe I'm just a bit different. Exactly. Yeah. I think I find that a lot with cleaning. I find it difficult to break a room into different tasks. Because I'm like, oh, well, that bit needs dusting, but then it actually needs organising first. But if I'm going to organise that, then I should just organise all of it. And then and then it just spirals into, there are 40 things to do in this room, so I'm going to sit and play Minecraft. Yep. That's absolutely an ADHD thing. Like, thank God for hyperfocus. Back in December, I hyperfocused for the better part of three to four hours just cleaning my bedroom. Yeah, and I think that is what I do. There was a little period where Mel's long COVID was really bad and she was going to bed at about six, seven in the evening just because the fatigue was so severe. But she'd wake up to go to the toilet and I'd just have cleaned another room in the house and she'd be like what <laughs> I, happened here? I distinctly remember waking up going to the toilet and being like the bathroom's different <laughs> yeah and I'd sort of said oh I was just pottering and it kind of one thing led to another and now the bathroom is spotless yeah so like that hyper focus for me it's all or it's nothing in terms of housework oh absolutely and I'm just kind of sitting in my living room that needs some tidying up and I had to reorganize things in order to find a seat. And now I'm thinking, okay, well, now that things are moved around, it's time to maybe putter around some more and see if I can actually tidy this thing. <laughs> that is relatable. <laughs> oh, I also think the other thing I have an issue with, impulsivity. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when I was talking to the doctor about getting my referral to the ADHD diagnosis team, she was like, oh, tell me about any period, like, uh, instances of impulsivity. I was like, oh, yeah, there was the time I went out to vote, ended up not voting, and I bought a MacBook. Little different. Yeah, I didn't intend to do it when I left the house. (laughs) One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, Gillian, is obviously ADHD at school, there's lots of adults around who can structure it, but how have you found having ADHD in the workplace? Um, well, focusing can be interesting sometimes. I find I have to create a checklist most days just to kind of keep track of everything and so I can actually get things done because otherwise if I have just a list of, you know, stories to write, it's just the list and then it's like panic and so I have to have the checklist because otherwise it gets overwhelming. It really does. So I'll just write down, you know, Uh, I need to call such and such a person or such and such people, transcribe interviews, things like that. And that way, like, the bigger things don't seem as big and they're less intimidating. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Yeah, I've started doing something really similar, actually, in terms of those moments where you think, oh, God, I need to do that. Like, adding them to a checklist straight away rather than trying to rely on my memory to hold it in mind long enough to make it actually happen. Like, I found that downloading onto a list has been really helpful recently. Yeah, it's that meme, you know, I can reward myself later once I get this done, or I could have the cookie now. (laughs) Yeah. From Mel's reference, because she hasn't seen it, it's the idea of when you're rewarding yourself, you do the task and then you have a cookie. And your brain goes, oh, cookie now, task never. There is a third option. Cookie now, task, then another cookie. Then you get two. My brain knows the person who's trying to incentivize me to get the thing done. And if I have the cookie now, then, you know, incentive has been achieved, so... Yeah, and I think I also would look at the second cookie and be like, I think I've earned that too. I haven't done anything, but it's there. I have to say, having long COVID and potentially having ADHD is a horrible combination because I can't structure myself because I never know when I'm going to have energy. (laughs) Oh, I have seasonal affective disorder, so I feel you on that. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it's that thing of, well, I could try and structure myself, but I might need to sleep all day. But then I might be awake all night, but maybe I'll be sleeping all night. Who knows? Everything's just kind of up in the air. Yeah, it's hard to get momentum when there's nothing to power it. I completely feel you. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point that it seems like one of the common experiences for ADHD in women is that self-motivation, self-management, the making sure that the things happen when they're supposed to. One of the things that I have noticed that I fall into a lot is that idea of trying to be neurotypical. And what I mean by that is those things where you're like, oh, I should do it like this. I should keep this here because that's what everyone else keeps it. And actually, it's been a really big unlearning process for me of going, well, I could keep my nail varnish on my dresser in a box where it's all together. 
but actually if I don't see it on a regular basis I'm not going to use it so actually I need it somewhere much more visible so that I remember that it exists so I might have a chance of doing that thing that I really enjoy doing oh absolutely and that's the thing like if it's out of sight then generally it's out of mind which is why I keep a lot of things on my shelves and it's just out in the open where I can see them I've done a whole, I'm still in the process of doing it, but arranging my office space in terms of thinking, oh, if I need a stapler, where would I reach? And then that's where the stapler lives. So that when in the moment I need the stapler, I can just be like, grab it and go, rather than having to think, oh, it's over there across the room in that drawer. And oh, the hole punch is also in that. And I need to do some hole punching later. And it's kind of cutting out that chance to get distracted. It eliminates the derailing process. Yeah. But it took me quite a big mental readjustment to allow myself to do that, rather than thinking, oh, we have a stationary drawer in the office and that's where everything needs to live. Yeah. Organising is something I quite enjoy doing. And I'm good at thinking up creative ways to organise things and have things. And I think I've got some things sorted. But the problem is, is when something comes up that doesn't fit my organisation system. Because that's where it all falls apart. Because I'm like, okay, so the tape goes here, and the glue goes in this one, and the scissors and my craft knife go in this one. But where does the blue tack go? I have these cable ties. These are probably going in this drawer. I don't know where to put the cable ties. And then I end up just shoving the cable ties in. And the next thing I know, I open the drawer and everything is disordered. Because I've just been shoving stuff into it. And then I'm like, oh, I need to organise this again. It's a horrendous cycle. Vicious, horrendous cycle. And I think the thing that I have only just recently realised is that it isn't necessarily a common experience. A couple of years ago, I tried to do the whole marry condo, organise your life, fold all your clothes perfectly. And the first kind of few days, loved it. Took pictures of my beautifully organised drawers. Showed everyone, look what I've done. All my t-shirts are folded, how Marie Kondo said. Lent the books to quite a few people. And then wasn't able to keep that going but had all the people I'd lent the book to being like oh what are your drawers like I found this drawer divider and I'm like I give up on day five I just it wasn't happening and I didn't know that that wasn't how other people's brains worked I know it's so weird and I'm the same way like I tidy up and it's great for a while but then it just kind of gradually slides back into disarray Mm -hmm. I can still see my bedroom floor though, so I'm happy in that regard. It's still visible, so yay for that. But yeah, no, it's just like one of those things like you're great for a few days and then it just kind of slides back into what for us is regular routine. Mm -hmm. The thing that I've noticed is that because there's that mismatch, it being really easy for some people and not for another whole set of people, is that a lot of the advice that's out there that we kind of take as adulting advice doesn't actually suit us. That thing of, if a cup's dirty, just wash it. Mm -hmm. Like, that is not a simple process for me. Well, I think it's also the thing of, if we have got our brain focused on something, like going and washing the cup would unfocus our brain. And in the long run, would that actually be worth for us? Yeah. 
a lot of the advice just seems to be very neurotypical, and we are not neurotypical. And I think to me that's where, in years past, the shame has really kicked in for me, because you're there going, well, this seems common sense, it seems simple, and yet I'm not able to keep my bedroom floor tidy. What is wrong with me? And if you don't have a word for that, all you're left with is... A cycle of shame. Yeah. Yeah, if it's not ADHD or you don't have a word for it, it's just you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so it's all my fault. That is worth saying. These things don't exist in a vacuum. So like you say, that's when you start feeling down on yourself. That's when you get the mental health, like the depression and the anxiety and that compounds it as well, because then when you're in that place, that takes away your capability to plan and to do stuff. Because yeah. I think it is important to say that some of the things do cross over with other mental health issues and stuff like that. Like, you can have some of these things and not have ADHD, but something else. Yeah, and a lot of the signs and symptoms of ADHD actually correlate with autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, in my professional life, it's an area that there's a lot of growing understanding about that actually, don't want to blame the patriarchy for everything, but there's a trend that we have researched what autism looks like in boys, and then said eight boys get autism for every one girl that gets it. And actually, a lot of the really current evidence coming through is that there isn't that gender split it's just that we don't understand what autism looks like in girls. And so I actually do some work on a diagnostic contract for adults to find out if they've got autism or not. And the thing that I've noticed is the biggest group by far coming through is women in their early 20s who have been in these cycles of shame for their whole life and gone, why can't I do this? Why is all this difficult for me? I was talking to one of them a couple of weeks ago who just said the relief of finally having a word for it. Like it didn't practically change anything in her life, but it was like the pressure had gone away because she was like, oh, I understand now. Well, yeah, because it's that thing of... So before I had long COVID, I had another mysterious fatigue disorder. I don't have a specific diagnosis. And it's that thing of, is it made up? Am I making it up? Am I just lazy? Like, I am imagining it. Is it all psychological? And if I just had a word, you have this syndrome, you have this disorder, not only would I be like, oh, thank God, it's not just me. Even if it's not curable, there would be some sort of treatment for it. I would never have thought to Google ADHD coping mechanisms before I thought I had ADHD. It would not have been something I would look at or think to look at. And I think having the name of the thing, you can find other people that are going through the same things or similar things. You can Google a way to deal with issues that come up because of it. To focus the search more instead of just, you know, just reaching out and doing just a random search of this is happening, so is it because of this, this, and this? Now you have, like, the, the focus for that. Yeah. And I think you then have something to explain to people, particularly neurotypical people, 
why you function slightly differently to them. Yeah, and one of the things that I've noticed lately in one of the Facebook communities that I'm in, one woman had posted, uh, I've had this big moment recently, I've realised I think I might have ADHD. These are the things that I find difficult. Does anyone know anything about this? And so I was there able to chime in and go, oh, I've not started the diagnostic process yet, but I'm in myself recognize a lot of ADHD. I'm confident that that or something similar is going on in my hardware. Would you like to chat about coming up with some creative problem solving? But from that, I then had four other women go, oh my god, I I really relate to what you've just said is really hard. Can I have that conversation too? And then having that conversation led on to me bringing it up in another group. It happened all over again. And it was just a lovely moment where there was almost like this kinship where we all kind of were going, oh my god, yeah, like that. that is a thing we all struggle with. And it just felt really loving and warm and supportive to be in that space. And I've noticed on some of your posts, Gillian, that you do incredible work raising awareness through your Facebook. But it seems like quite a lot of your friends have gone, oh god, that's me. Yeah, I've definitely had a few comments like that. Or uh, like what you were saying earlier, just, you know, just at me next time, just mention my name kind of thing. Why are you calling me out like this? Yeah. Yeah, basically, just like, why do I feel, I feel very called out right now. Why are you doing this to me? Quite often, we'll show each other, like, each other your posts, and I'll just, like, read it, and then, like, show Anna, and she'll be like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To the point now where we almost have a thing where we're like, did you see Julian's post today? And we're like, yeah. But I do find that there's there's actually something quite magical in that, in that there generally is that thing of going, oh, you're learning about yourself. And in coaching, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that when you recognise a pattern or something you're doing, that's really cool because that's the moment where you can start to do the problem solving. I do wonder if we talk a lot about symptoms and difficulties But I do really value the creativity that understanding myself like this is allowing me to have about things and letting me look outside the box in how to make things actually happen. It feels like an opportunity in what could be quite an emotional moment when you realise that, oh, I'm not neurotypical. That can feel really heavy. It absolutely can, yeah. And are there other things, Gillian, that you think are gifts of ADHD, things that you really value about yourself? Oh, now you're asking the hard question because I've always seen my ADHD as just a pain in the behind. So it's, I'm, for me, it's, it's harder to find the positives. I have to say, like, sometimes as an artist, hyperfixating has really helped. <laughs> oh yeah, the hyperfixation. That's in the uh, blue moon that it does happen. It's pretty great. The other thing is, though, it has got me into some really nerdy stuff where I hyperfixated on Wicked, the musical, and ended up becoming a right nerd about it to the point that I have a Wicked tattoo. But I regularly did that with TV shows 
and games and movies and books where I just get like really into it for like a few months and then like pass on to the next thing. But yes, thank you for giving us so much time, Julian. I probably will have you back for a second episode if that's okay. Absolutely. I would love to be back for a second episode. I do have some things to add just before you go. Because women are underrepresented with ADHD, I actually have a list of famous women with ADHD. Cool. Okay, well, first and foremost, Emma Watson. Really? Yes. She was diagnosed when she was around my age, apparently. And then we have Solange Knowles, Simone Biles, Zooey Deschanel, fellow journalist Lisa Ling, Jessica McCabe. She is a YouTuber who has done a TED Talk on ADHD, and her YouTube channel is How to ADHD. Then we have Olympic gold medalist Cami Granado, fellow gold medalist to Simone Biles. Catherine Ellison, she is a journalist and foreign correspondent who has won a Pulitzer Prize for international reporting. And then we also have actress Michelle Rodriguez. And that's just a, that's just a small sampling. That is a good list. I bet there's so many that we don't know of. Oh yeah, absolutely. The list is probably hampered as well because some female celebrities out there won't have had the realisation yet. Mm. I do have a couple of websites that I think would be beneficial. One is ADHDawarenessmonth.org. There's so much information on this website. It offers myths and facts, including art, stories, memes, resources. The information is offered in a variety of forms, including infographics, like as an image or a PDF, which is great if you're like not into the big wall of reading. And every October they do answers to common questions and they'll do one question a day for the month of October because October is ADHD Awareness Month. And then another website I found is attitudemag.com, and it's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-Mag.com, which has some really helpful, really great information on ADHD as well. Fab. And another thing that started quite recently that I feel like you would really love, Jillian, is there's a group of women at the moment using the hashtag IamADHD, and they're doing interviews about different aspects of ADHD. So in a couple of weeks' time, we've got another woman with ADHD coming on the show to talk about ADHD and trauma and how that all goes together. So that's a hashtag to look out for, I am ADHD. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did when we were recording it. What I haven't kept in for you today is all the topics we jumped through on the way to getting this recording. So you've missed a very in-detail explanation of what an Argos catalogue is for Gillian, who's obviously not from the UK. We also covered American politics. We went via the patriarchy. Then just a general conversation about nerdy interests that we all shared. I did love when I was playing it back, listening to it, each time we said, so, hmm, back to ADHD. What I hope you've got from today is, what I hope you've got from today is a bit more of an understanding about what ADHD looks like in people that are assigned female at birth and the range of challenges that ADHD can present. 
if you are sat here resonating with any of what you've heard, don't forget to check out the resources that Gillian mentioned at the end there. And if you want to chat to someone who gets it, you can always come find me in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. Next week, my guest is Alison Matthews. Alison is my go-to person when I need to talk about anything period-related. She's got a wealth of knowledge about all things menstrual, and she owns a small business where she makes the most phenomenal, reusable pads that money can buy. I love the bright colours, the designs, and I particularly want some of the ones she's got with swear words all over them. So join us as we chat through periods, how our bodies work, and what we can do to have a more comfortable experience when Antflow comes to visit. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.